If you're like me, you're a person who has certain pet peeves. There's certain things you like, certain things you don't like. One of the things I really don't like, and again, I don't think I'm alone on this, is I don't like sitting in the middle seat on an airplane, like at all. And, and, and the reason is actually really straightforward. I feel trapped. Have you, have you ever felt that? Like you, you get into uh, the airplane and, and you see that, that there's somebody sitting by the window already and, and you know that you're going to sit down and you're, you're doing your absolute best to make sure that your shoulders aren't touching, your legs aren't touching. and You just feel really confined. And then you see this person coming down the aisle and you see that they lock eyes with you and you know what's going to happen next. You're about to be trapped. You're about to be in the middle seat with two people on either side of you and, and, and you're going to feel confined. You're going to feel like, you know, if I have to get up and go to the bathroom, I'm disrupting things. There's an, there's an etiquette and an order to things, right? Like, I don't like sitting in the middle seat because I don't like feeling confined. I don't like feeling as if I'm in everybody's way and that I don't have enough room. It impacts my ability to... Uh, to work, and to rest, and to even think clearly. Why? Because I don't have enough space. That's really what it comes down to. Most of us really appreciate, for example, on an airplane, uh, being able to have space. Space gives us this mental freedom to think. It gives us this mental freedom to be thoughtful about how we live our lives, how we make good choices. It happens a lot more frequently, actually, when we have mental space. It's the opposite of the pressure that we may have in our lives. See, that's what space does. Space helps us to think clearly, work better, uh, respond better to people on an emotional level, relational level. Space does a lot of things for us, and especially one of those key things is that it brings clarity. And we need clarity when we're dealing with the pressures of life. So we're not overcome by the pressures of life. And so today I want to start this new series with you. And we're calling it Make Space. And it's this idea about making space in our finances so that they don't restrict our ability to live life in the way that God has called us to live. And that's it. Is that straightforward? I mean, Jesus talked more about money than he did about love. Do the search. If you go to uh, BibleGateway.com and you just type in love and you count how many times, uh, like love in the New Testament, specifically within the Gospels, how many times Jesus said love and how many times he talked about money and you're going to find that he talked more about the money and possessions and how we interact with those things than he did even about the, the topic, love. And love was really important to him. And I truly believe that if Jesus says something, it's something of value. And so then we got to take note of what it is that he's saying. So we want to start this series. And to do that, we got to make room in our minds and our hearts to understand our relationship with money. Because it is a relationship. We all have some kind of connection to money that dictates how we function with money. And so in order to be able to be good stewards of God's gifts, we got to understand our relationship to money. So... I truly believe that right now a lot of us feel like we're in the middle seat of the airplane of money management. You know, we feel trapped, right? Um, we feel like we can't ask anyone for help or, uh, or to move for us and, and that we're in everyone's way. 
We don't have enough room and it impacts our ability to work, rest, or even think clearly. And you know that's what it's like. When we feel financial pressure, it clouds everything else that we're interacting with. And it actually even causes us to have negative responses to people in life that we otherwise wouldn't likely have. Most of us have money habits that come from a lifetime of both good and bad money lessons. Uh, here's what I mean. Take a moment and just think about your first memory or your first um, understanding, this influential memory that you might have about money. Um, maybe it's about how it was used or, or maybe it's about a possession. Whatever it is, what is your first memory? And I'll, I'll tell you mine. We did not grow up in a rich family. As a matter of fact, we didn't even grow up in a lower middle class family. We were a poor family. And so my first memory of money was this. When you had it, someone else would take it. In other words, when we had money, there were always this, this bill to pay, that person to pay. And, and, and you never got to keep your money. And most certainly, you never got to spend your money on the things that you might want to spend money on. And so the habit that I got into from a young age was that when I had money, I spent it. Now, you can well imagine how that would impact um, marriage, especially when you marry a saver <laughs> and, and I'm a spender. It, it created conflict that it didn't need to create had I had a proper understanding and a proper relationship to money. And so that was my earliest memory. Money was something that was exciting when it was spent and it felt good. It gave me this feeling of, I can have things and I, I, I can get this thing. And so it was this sometimes coping for how we grew up, but other times it was just, we had, or I had an improper view of money. You get it, you spend it, so others can't have it. It's not a good way to view money. And those early memories, they can shape how we think about money in our lives and in the years to come. So even if we had great money lessons in life, like even if, if everything that you learned about money in life was predominantly positive, we still need to learn how to balance our spiritual health with the pressures of the world that we live in. Now, fortunately, we have the Bible, and the Bible gives us wisdom in order to be able to guide us through all this stuff like to so we could say like to have more financial space and we're talking about this headspace i must understand that everything i have belongs to the lord everything i have belongs to the lord and so this morning we're going to look at one of the parables of jesus that many of us are familiar with and it's a story that illustrates not only the benefits of being a good steward, but also helps explain why financial management can be so, so incredibly challenging. And so as we walk through this parable, we're gonna see a lot of big keys to understanding, sort of, you could say, our money story in facing our financial fears. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew is the first uh, synoptic gospel. Uh, if you don't know where the book of Matthew is, in the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. I just want you to feel free to use it. Uh, it's there for a reason. It's not there to shame you in any way. It's actually there to help you understand where things are. And it can be a really great tool in terms of learning where 
the books, books of the Bible are for your, your personal study. So Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 to 30. 14 to 30. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. And so I'm going to go ahead and read this. And, uh, and again, many of you will be familiar with this already, but we're just going to walk it through together. So here's what it says. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants um, and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another he gave two bags, and to another he gave one bag, each according to his ability. That's an interesting one right there, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and with his money gained five more bags. So also the one who was given two bags of gold gained two more. But the one who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled the accounts with them. And the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, and see, I have gained five more. His master then replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came and said, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold, and see, I have gained two more. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man who had received one bag of gold, Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground, and see, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, You wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him, give it to the one who has ten bags, for whoever will be, for who... Whoever has will be given more and will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw this worthless servant outside into the darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for this morning and our time together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together here. And I pray, Lord, that as we're looking into your word, that we will gain a better understanding of how we relate to money and how we need to uh, come back to you, Lord, and recognize you as provider, as owner, and that we are the caretakers. In your name I pray. Amen. So that was not necessarily the most encouraging story, certainly not for the, for the servant who was given one bag of gold. But as we look into this passage, it says, and again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to him. Now, this is an important part of the story. Because the master entrusted his resources to the servants. And to be entrusted with something meant that there was this, um, this sense of, okay, like I'm leaving, I'm leaving you in charge of this, so I'm trusting you to take care of it in the way that I would. In other words, the master was the kind of person that would look to invest it, look to multiply whatever it is that he had. And so if he gives him uh, five bags of gold, the expectation is that he's going to be entrusted with it to do with it what the master would expect and would have him do, which would be to multiply it. But to be entrusted with something means that someone is actually 
believing in you and trusting you with this. And I think it's important to note that the three servants mentioned here were all entrusted. They were entrusted according to their ability, but they were all trusted, every single one of them. In our case, God chooses to offer us His trust, and He entrusts us with our skills, with our talents, with our possessions here on earth. And when we understand that, it changes how we view our responsibility to our possessions, to our gifts, to our talents. You see, it's like the difference between the owner of a home and the tenant of the home. The tenant is responsible to be a good steward of the property, right? Like they take care of it, they, they mow the lawn, right? Like they, they clean up the house and, and, and that kind of thing. But the landlord is the one who still owns the property, both before the tenant occupies it and after the tenant leaves. So the tenant doesn't own any of it. They are the stewards of it. They take care of it. They manage it while they're with it, but they don't own it. And it, it leads me to things like Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So everything belongs to the, to the Lord, like the world and everything in it. And everyone who lives in it, like we're all His. And so at this point, you might be thinking, okay, everything is supposed to be God's, right? Like every, he owns everything. I'm the steward of it. I'm the manager of it. You might be asking yourself, well, does God really own the money I work hard for? Like that doesn't seem fair, you may think. And if you think about it, whatever you do to earn money is also, in fact, actually a gift from God. Where you live is a gift from God. Everything we have, the talents, the skills, and even the opportunities we are allowed in life to even earn an income are from Him. He willed it. And so you could say, and though this is not, the, not a perfect analogy, but you could say that God's your private uh, partner, your silent partner, your uh, key investor your entire life, whether you knew it or not. He's always there and He's always giving you the things you need to be able to do the things you do. So the fact is that everything belongs to God is great news for all of us here today. Because if we let it sink in, what we recognize is that we're here to manage the property of our lives, not to be the owners of that property of our lives. And it can actually be quite a relief. And the reason I believe that it can be a relief is because I am not then the provider. And so that pressure is off. I'm the manager of the things that God provides. And so then when I, when I do that comparison of Rob as provider versus God as provider, God's the better provider. And sometimes we can feel like what God has entrusted us with isn't sufficient, right? Like when we're struggling, it's, it's hard to think of, uh, of the little that we have as a blessing. It can be hard to think that. Maybe we're going through some kind of financial struggle, and it can be hard to think that what we have, even within that financial struggle, could be a blessing from God. But there's a passage of Matthew that I find comforting in those times. Matthew 6, 31. Um, so Jesus, again, he's, he's addressing a crowd, and, and he says, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? <laughs> what shall we drink? What shall we wear? In other words, like, don't worry and worry about, like, like, 
this food that we need to put on the table, these basic needs in life, like not to worry about food or drink or what we're going to wear, not to worry about the roof over our head because He has it covered. When we accept the idea that every good thing comes from God, it makes space to really live in a place of gratitude. Because we focus on what we have, not on what we lack. Right? We focus on what we have and we honor it and it is to be and what it means for us to be trusted with it. It reminds us that our faith and good management of God's gifts will result in his care of us. Like that's what this passage does. It says, listen, like, like don't worry about these things. I got you covered, and, and that's it. Like, trust me, and I've got you. It's both humbling and empowering to acknowledge that we're not the owners of our possessions, but the managers. Because he's a better provider. He's a better owner. And so the first key is to embrace the truth that everything in life belongs to God, and we have been entrusted with what we have. We're entrusted with what we have. He trusts us. We are the faithful servants in the story that, or the servants in the story that the master entrusts his stuff with. And so whatever it is that you have, whether it's a lot, whether it's a little, you are entrusted by God with that. Honor him with it. Everything in life belongs to God and has been entrusted to us. The second thing I'd like us to say is not only that does God um, entrust things to us and that everything belongs to Him, but that the things that He does entrust to us, we are then called upon to be good stewards of it, good managers of it. If you look at the next verse in the story, Matthew 25, 19, Matthew 25, 19 says, After a long time, the master uh, of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Now, the accounts that he's settling with them, of course, is he gives one five bags of gold, one two bags of gold, and one one bag of gold. And the guy with the five bags of gold, we, we know from the story that he multiplies it, he doubles it, right? He gets an additional five bags of gold, ten total. The second servant gets two bags of gold, multiplies it, gets an additional two bags of gold. He's got four bags of gold. And the servant that he gave one bag of gold, he didn't do anything with it other than bury it. And so when the master comes to settle accounts, it's this idea of what did you do with what I entrusted you with? And did you handle it well? Or he says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And so God wants us to be good stewards of his gifts here on earth. And the first step that we've already done, right, is like we've trusted him to be a good master, and the next step then is to be good stewards of his gifts. And this is something that we can all learn to do better. Like some of us are better at it than others. Some of you are far better at this than I am. But all of us can learn how to do this even better. And it goes beyond just being good with numbers. Sometimes I get the impression that people think that in order to be a good steward with the gifts that God has given you, like your finances, for example, that it means that you suddenly have to become this expert number cruncher. And so we place this expectation on ourselves that, that we have to be the, you know, just a, a master with, with numbers, which is not actually, in fact, true. But we think that, right? Uh, or, or we think that maybe we have to be an entrepreneur because to be an entrepreneur not is to 
be honorable to God when, when in fact, maybe what it means is that we can invest in entrepreneurs, right? It's not about having to be these things or having an unnatural understanding of hedge funds. We sometimes think that that kind of thinking is, is what's needed to be a good steward. But becoming a good manager or a good steward of our finances and being a good steward of God's gifts is something that we need to be diligent about and improving every day. So no, you don't have to be a master of these things, but we do need to learn more and grow in our understanding of what it means to be a good steward. So fortunately, God's given us wisdom for how we can be good managers. Now, before we get into that, okay, because I know it's fun to just dive into the, to the two guys here that multiplied their funds, they doubled their income in that sense. Uh, but before we get to what this parable teaches us about being good managers, I think it's important for, we, for us to look at the servant with the one talent in Matthew 25, 24. Matthew 25, 24 says, And the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And then he says in verse 25, So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. This language, especially in verse 25 of, And so I was afraid. I think that describes a lot of us when it comes to our finances, being afraid, right? Like in this particular scenario, there's this fear of uh, judgment made him hesitate to fail, right? Uh, fear of failure is what caused him to play it safe. Fear of loss made him hesitate and become risk averse. And the truth is, is that when you only have one, like, doesn't it feel like you have more to lose? When you only have one. And so this is a fear-driven thing, right? And, and, and the only way I know to bring fear into submission, uh, fear is the opposite of trust, I believe, right? Like most of us have felt like this servant once upon a time, or one time or another, um, whether we have a lot or a little, we can find ourselves acting out of fear of judgment, out of fear of failure, fear of loss, when we make choices about our finances, right? The way to reduce fear is to bring light to them. And today, I hope we can have the courage to shine light on our fears. And to do that, we got to be willing to talk about where our fears are. Like the fear of, if I make a bad investment, I'm losing everything. There's a fear of that. Um, the fear of, if I tithe, will I have enough money to survive in the world that I live in? Will I be able to pay my mortgage, pay my hydro, buy groceries, pay my car payment, all those things. Like if I tithe the 10% of my income, will I be able to do these things? I promise you, you can't. It changes priorities. Uh, it, the, that's what tithing does. It reorients priorities. And when we do that, we actually find that we can live off of that 90% a lot better, actually, and more fulfilling than off the 100%. I know that sounds weird, but it is the truth. So we need to have the courage to shine that light on our fears. So take a minute, just be honest, and tell me where you're at. Or don't tell me, but think about where you're at. It's not about how much money you have in your account. It's about how we feel about our financial situation. So when you think about your finances, which of these things would be true of you? I require financial assistance to get by. Like, would that be true of you? 
I'm struggling to keep up with day-to-day expenses. I'm able to make ends meet. I'm able to make ends meet and have some left over, or I have more than I need for myself and my family. Now, again, uh, these things, like especially that, that it's an interesting one to me, right? Because I, I require financial assistance to get by, and, and that happens all throughout Scripture. There's allowances within Scripture to be able to make sure that we're helping those people who are struggling. And at the same time, I mean, a lot of us, we struggle with that option number five because a lot of us do have more than we need, but we always live to our means. You know what I mean when I say that? Like, you get a raise, and for some reason, your household expenses increase as much as or sometimes more than what that raise is. When you talk about what you actually need, most of us have more than we need. Most of us have more than we need. It's about priorities, right? So acknowledging where we are means that we can focus on what we need in our lives right now and have realistic goals that we can live out. And it also helps us to live in a place of gratitude. If we're struggling, as the servant with the one talent was, we know that we need to trust God more and not on our own abilities to work things out. I mean, even just think about what the master said to the servant, right? He's like, look, even if you weren't going to invest it, right? He says, look, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I harvested where I had not sown, gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money in deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received back with interest. So even just doing like, do the simplest thing. But instead, acting in fear, all he did was bury it. He did nothing with it. I mean, think about that. You have a gift that's intended to be multiplied, you, and you do nothing with it. Even the multiplication of just earning interest on it, he did nothing with it, and he was not honored. In other words, what he did there of just burying it, just hanging on to it, not even just getting some interest on it from the banks, was to dishonor the gift that he was given. And then, in fact, by doing so, he was dishonoring the master. The gift is intended to be multiplied in some fashion. So, we need to trust God more, not on our own abilities to work things out so that we will not be afraid. And maybe we just need to lean in on our friends, right? Like some of our friends that we know that are just really good at this stuff, just talk to them. Say, hey man, how do you, how do, you do this? And how do you set up the priorities that you have in life when it comes to finances? So we can lean in to our friends, our families, our church for support because that's what we are to do together. So some people, some people need some financial, biblical financial advice. And you need to know that the scripture is riddled with it. Riddled with financial advice. Some people need some assistance from time to time because they're going through a tough time right now. Okay, these are the things that we do together. And you got to remember that in the New Testament church, Acts chapter 2, look, everyone, nobody was in need because anyone who was in need was covered by the rest of the congregation. And so we meet each other's needs in that respect as well. That's what we're here for. And so how do we keep our possessions from having power over us? Well, we're going to be talking about that over the weeks to come. Uh, But knowing where we are is the first step to getting where God wants us to be. And so now that we've started facing our fears of our finances, you might ask, well, what's next? Well, I think it's finding the faith to reach for the light, you could say. What does the Bible say about being a good manager then? So we've talked about the 
the servant who was afraid and he had one uh, bag of gold. But the other two gives us some really good tools to understand what it means to be a good money manager. Use what you have and don't spend more than you make. That's one of the principles that we'll find throughout Scripture. And the second one would be be careful of what you borrow and from who. And so on the topic of the idea of use what you have, even though each of the good servants got different amounts, it was only the behavior of acting in faith and being a good manager that the master actually cared about. Both good servants were rewarded even though they didn't begin or end with the same amount. So the bottom line is that it doesn't matter how much you have. What matters is what you do with what you have. Hear that. This is important because a lot of us think that we can't do things because we don't have stuff. It doesn't matter how much you have. What matters is what you do with what you have. This is a critical point because we struggle with these things, right? We say things like, well, I just don't have a lot, so I can't do much. No, that, that's, it's not about how much you have. It's about what you do with what you have. Remember, there's this woman who, who comes along and, and, and she gives her penny. And, and the question is asked, like, who gave more? And, and of course, it was given, the credit was given to her for giving more than everybody else had because she had the least and gave the most comparatively. What you do with what you have is what matters. How much you have is not what matters. And so how do we apply biblical wisdom to everyday life? Proverbs 27, verse 23, 24. It says this, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Be care give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and the crown is not secure for all generations. And so the idea here is like, watch closely. Whether it's flocks and herds or checking and savings accounts, God wants us to pay attention to how we use what He's given us. He doesn't call us to be accountants, but He calls all of us to give an account. And most of us have a hard time or two in our lives where the last thing we wanted to do was look at our bank account. Uh, but that's living in fear. You know, when looking at our bank account scares us, you know what I mean? You get paid. It's been probably about a week since you got your paycheck and deposited it. You've been, you've been um, using your debit card a bit. And you come to the teller of whatever store it is, and you take out that debit card, and you're about to tap, and you're looking at that screen, wondering, like, I'm sure there's enough to cover this, but not a 100% confident. And so there's that moment of uh, fear, of embarrassment, of shame, of judgment. It's living in fear. And that's not where God has called us to live. So the first step in becoming good money managers, and by the way, this is not exhaustive. We've got a financial course um, that is ridiculously amazing at helping us understand our relationship to money and how to function well. Um, and so if you're interested in learning more about how to handle your finances, apart from the series that we're doing, certainly we want you to let us know and we'll get you access to that course so that you can become a better money manager. Or a biblical money manager, I think is a better way to say it. So the first step of becoming a good money manager or biblical money manager is to know where our money goes. Know where it's headed. Know where it's going, what's happening with it, right? 
And so it's also important for us to understand that every financial decision is an opportunity. When we start to understand that everything is God's and we're the managers of it, then it becomes very clear that every financial decision that we make ultimately becomes a spiritual decision. And here's what I mean, uh, or, or beyond that, every financial decision also becomes a powerful opportunity to be a trustworthy manager of God's great resources. Every financial revision, uh, every financial decision reveals how I see money. Our financial decisions are interesting things. They say a lot about what's important to us. And so how we manage resources displays where we place our trust. Absolutely does. And so when we talk about money management, being a good biblical steward of our finances that come from God, we need to know where our stuff is going. We need to make great decisions or better decisions about it, base things on needs versus wants. Um, there are a lot of these different things that come along. And again, it's not exhaustive. There's more stuff we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. But I'm encouraging you to check out this course that we have so that you can become a more biblical money manager, even more so than you might already be. Third thing I want to be able to talk about today is rewards for good management. It's the gift of greater trust. And this is where some people get a little messed up, right? They think that, well, if I'm going to be, you know, if I'm going to be a good money manager, then it automatically means that God is going to give me more money. That's not true. Uh, it's, that's not what's actually the point of the story. It's the idea of uh, they were entrusted and that the one who was faithful with what they were entrusted with will be entrusted more. So you're going to be trusted more, not necessarily that you're guaranteed more income. Matthew 25, 20 and 21, right? The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have given five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And so some really neat stuff that's taking place here, right? When we read at the end of this parable, God is saying that you've done such a great job with a little bit that I've given you. I'm going to trust you with even more. Trust you with more. And when God sees that we have a faith in him to be good managers of his gifts, he knows that we can handle greater responsibilities. But the neat thing for me also that comes along with this is not only that there's a greater trust that's given, but there's this invitation to join in the master's happiness. Like we gain the joy of partnering with him, of being the steward of his stuff. And as we get to be better stewards of our finances, it helps us find that breathing room that we often need about money. Here's what I mean about that breathing room, just very quickly. You ever pay off a vehicle after having a couple of years of paying for the vehicle? How amazing does that feel? Like the payments are done. Like anytime you've got the payments done, or maybe you were behind on your hydro or your telephone or, or your cell or whatever water bill, whatever it is, but if you were behind on something and then you find that you've, you've caught up and you're, man, isn't that just freeing? It's like this weight is lifted off your shoulders. There's this cloud that was in your brain that is no longer in your brain and you have more clarity. And even if you don't suddenly have more money, when we aren't afraid of facing our finances, it takes up less room in our lives. And so if you're here and let's say that you're checking this thing out and you're married 
but you don't talk about your finances. Like you don't sit and have conversations about financial goals. You don't have conversations about the priorities of the finances and what gets paid, what gets saved, all those kinds of what gets spent, all those kinds of things. If you're not having those conversations, I want to ask you why. Like, why aren't you talking about these things with the person that you're doing life with? If you're single and you're checking this out, my question to you is, are you living life in such a way? Are you using your finances in such a way that it frees you up for God's purposes as well? And marriage needs to free you up towards God's purposes. Does a single person free you up towards God's purposes? How are you using your finances? And are you talking to other people about it or are you just kind of hiding that conversation just in within yourself and finding yourself dissatisfied in that area of your life. Let's learn how to encourage each other and spur one another on towards being better biblical money managers. It gives us more space in life when we're not afraid to talk about it. And that space can be an opportunity for all the other areas of life to flourish as well because it's not this weight on us anymore. Most of us have, a, have wished that we had time or energy or even money to do more for God. Most of us do. You know, I often hear people say things like this. You know, if this investment comes through or if I win this lottery or if I just had a lot of this money over here, man, I would do crazy things for the kingdom. I hear that all the time. Maybe it's just because I'm a pastor that I hear it, but I hear people talk about that stuff all the time. But if we start by getting our finances in order, by managing our finances in a godly way, in a biblical way, it can make space in all the areas of our lives to grow. And what comes of it, right? Because remember that the master invites them into his happiness. What comes of it is this thankfulness, this gratitude, this praise in various forms that will start to creep into our life from every angle. Like we'll start to see God as our provider in everything. And so because God is our provider, we're thankful to him. We start to appreciate him even more. We'll realize that it's all his, but he gives us a really big part of it. Like imagine being the owner of, of everything and, and you give your caretakers 90% of all your stuff for them to take care of. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? Like that, that's a deal. That's a job we would take. And this is the job we're given. He'll ask us to give, but he'll also tell us to keep some. And we find ourselves being thankful for what we get, for what we get to keep. But we're also thankful for what we get to give. Lord, thank you for allowing me, giving me opportunity to give this because this is going to bless somebody. Lord, thank you for my privilege of giving this, because in doing so, more people are reached with the gospel. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to serve this person. Maybe, maybe it's that you, you know somebody's struggling, and, and you know that, that, that they're too embarrassed to say anything about it, so you go and you go buy, let's say, tons of groceries for them. You drop it off at the door, ring the doorbell, and run. Thank you, Lord, for giving me that opportunity. And thank you, Lord, for giving me the opportunity to help this student, this child, get to go to, let's say, Bible camp because their family can't afford it. 
Thank you, Lord, for giving me the space that I made with you so we could bless them. We can have all these things shift in us already. We find ourselves thankful for what we get to give, not just what we get to keep. And our finances no longer stress us out, but instead, they continually point us back to this loving Heavenly Father who loves to give good things to His kids and will want to celebrate. And we'll be able to accept that invitation from Him to come and join Him in His happiness. You'll want to join the Father in His party. So this is the start of this. We're talking about, again, what it means to be good biblical money managers. We want to be able to make space in our lives so we're not feeling the pressure encroaching on us that's impacting our relationships, impacting our ability to feel free and to live clear and on purpose. The invitation is let's do this biblically so that we can experience the joy that comes from being great biblical money managers and make space in our heads and in our lives for God to move in a way that maybe we haven't let him move before. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I pray, Jesus, that as we're learning what it means to become good biblical money managers, Lord, that we would have eyes that see, that we would have a clarity that comes about in it, Lord, that we would experience joy in focusing in on how to do things the way that you call us into so that we can have more space in our heads and in our lives for you to move. In your name I pray, amen.